Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Beat him up. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Stevenson. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Pacers got the steal, outrunning his Brissett, pounds it home. Washington, again, five of them. Go, go, good job. It's it to Taylor, Taylor missed it, tips it in. Oh, the, pace, the Pacers clearly yeah. won this trade. The Pacers clearly won this trade. Dropped it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Healed. Hotter than fish grease. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. This is Tyrese Halliburton, just got here in Indiana. Um, I'm super excited to meet you guys and super excited to get started here. Go Pacers. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. We have none other than Alex Golden and myself bringing you Mailbag Part (laughs) 2. Alex, how we doing? Part 2, baby. Let's get to it, Flash. All right. First question coming over from Reddit. Soctopus said, is this young core enough to attract big free agents? Before I answer this, I just want to say it is part two on 2-22-22. This was not, you know, this was not intentional, but hey, it worked out. So part two on 2-22 of 22. Is the core enough to attract big free agents? Probably not. Not right now. But after the draft pick, depending on who it is, and you get one really good year of that draft pick plus Halliburton, I think we're talking fudge. Yeah, look, it, it's it's not big enough to attract free agents, big free agents. Look, I would love to be like, are you kidding me? We got Halliburton. The time is now. But the thing is, we're just not there yet. We're, we're going to be coming off of a bad year. Halliburton is a major building block. I feel like down the road, he will be able to attract some guys with bigger names than Toy Craig. I'll say that. Yeah, and I think I think one thing too here, Fachi, it's just like I feel like a lot of players around the league have high praise for Chris Duarte as well. Agreed. So, you know, if you have Duarte as part of your big three here in the young court, I mean, it could be enticing. And I think like we talked about on part one, you know, just a little bit, um, the DeAndre Ayton conversation that we just briefly mentioned. I mean, that's a young guy that might be intrigued by this idea to come here to Indiana if he feels like he's not being um, valued as much in, in Phoenix. Especially if they win a title this year, I could see him being ready to spread his wings somewhere else, already having that title under his belt. But, um, yeah, a lot of interesting things to talk about here. But let's move on to our next question from Oregon Hoosier 31. He said, who do you keep between Lance and McConnell to be the bench point guard for next season? I love them both, but I just don't think they could possibly play well together. In my opinion, I think Lance is a more dynamic scorer and a bigger guard who won't be picked on defensively by opposing teams. In addition, do you think we will see Miles and Ajax uh, pair together at all this season? Thanks. Look, Lance is for sure a more dynamic scorer. He's a bigger guard. I think he could play one through three, and he would honestly probably cost us 
half as much, uh, you know, on like a one to two year deal. You know, maybe you could sign him at like three million dollars per year compared to McConnell making over seven million dollars where he struggles to shoot. It's not like Lance is a great shooter by any means, but like you just don't really want McConnell shooting. You know, it's one thing if he's like in the paint, he's getting like a layup in, but he also doesn't fit what Carlisle wants to do. I mean, it seems pretty obvious that Carlisle is not a McConnell guy. Um, however, I'm not sure what the Pacers will you know, do as it relates to trading McConnell and what they can get back for him. The second part is I do think we see a Miles and Ajax pairing at some point this season. Not sure how much they'll play together, but I feel like it's important to at least get them on the court together and see how it works. Yeah, I'm going to answer the second part first. Yeah, I agree with Fachi. We will see a Miles Ajax pairing for sure. And yeah, I really agree with a lot of the points you made there about McConnell. And look, if the Pacers are able to move off of McConnell's contract, it's got three more years on this on the contract, I think, after this year. So um, I think it's a partial guarantee in that final year, but still can reach north of the of the nine million dollar uh, price range there. And I think McConnell is a really, you know, valued player here for, for the organization and for the fans because of the way he plays. But I like I like you said, Fachi, I don't really think it meshes super well with what Carlisle wants to do. And when we had Jay Michael on, I mean, he was the one that actually broke the news that the Pacers were resigning McConnell. And it wasn't Woj. It wasn't Shams. It was actually Jay Michael. And what he basically told us is a lot of teams around the league thought it was an overpay. So I think if you do trade him, you're going to have to attach something to him. Um, don't think it's the end of the world to maybe attach something to him because they do have some assets to move moving uh, moving forward. But at the same time, you know, Lance, like you said, the contract is a huge thing. If you could bring Lance back on another minimum contract instead of having to pay McConnell eight, eight to nine million a year, I think that that's definitely a uh, something you have to look at. I completely agree right there. Um, so it's definitely going to be interesting. The cost for Lance, who, you know, wants to be here, is a fan favorite, is going to be cheap, you know, could play multiple positions. It just kind of pumps some life into the crowd of the team. I mean, I know McConnell does the same, but – I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just because McConnell's been out, but definitely soured a little bit on McConnell this year. Mm-hmm. I agree, Fachi. All right. What do we got next? Uh, Reggie Choke. Read you, ready? you want me to read it? Yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, you're good. You're good. So this is from 210 plus 210 at Reggie Choke on Reddit. Miles Turner contract extension win. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, we got to see how Turner looks with this new core. He's got one year left on the deal. Not sure if the, the Pacers get a deal done before that expires, uh, but we got to see if Turner can also take his game to the next level without Domas. Um, because I said, this is the time to show it. I mean, right over here, you know, this would be very intriguing if Turner looks like a completely different player over there and he wants to get a deal done. I think that'd be great. However, Turner's never hit free agency before. So I do think that he's going to want to at least hit free agency, have some suitors, see what else is out there. And also, I don't want to have some PTSD, but I feel like the Pacers likely rushed to get that Brogdon extension done a little bit earlier than they probably should have. And Turner's had some injuries himself. So I don't know if we should get this deal done too early. He has missed roughly 25% of the games that have been possible to play. In the last three years, um, I, I did some statistics on Warren, Brogdon, and Turner bef- before the All-Star break, um, the last game. I included that last game, so we're pretty much up to date on that. Don't know the exact percentage, but it was around 25%. So, look, he's missed a fourth of the games. Pacers have a young center that they really like in Isaiah Jackson moving forward, but at the same time, he's not ready yet to take over that starting position, I don't think. So, 
Miles Turner is really going to have to showcase a lot here that he can fit in with this group, and there's a possibility that he could. It seems like he's excited to play with Halliburton, so uh, who wouldn't be, right? Tyrese is mm-hmm. a really willing passer, and I think he's a really good player. So I understand why Turner would be in, intrigued by that, especially being the solo center. And he does bring a lot of things to the table that you want in a modern-day offense and defense, you know. So he's a modern, modern center. It just depends on the price tag. And I think if the Pacers um, are willing to pay him around the same amount or maybe just a little bit more in that $20 million range, then they probably keep him. But I can't imagine if he wants anywhere north of, you know, $20 million, probably the 25 or higher range. I don't think Indiana would keep him because to me, that'd be a bit of an overpay, especially for a position that's kind of dying in today's NBA, like not completely, but, you know, I feel like the center position is probably the easiest thing to, to fix than, than it is when you're talking about elite level guard play or wing play. So, you know, I really think that Turner is in a great oppor- situation here, has a great opportunity here to prove what he's worth. There's reports out there that said that Turner wanted to be extended if he was moved, if he was traded. But at the same time, I just don't know, Fachi, if uh, the Pacers are willing to to do an extension. And, and here's the thing. Why Isaiah Jackson might not be ready this year. Give him another full year of play by his third year. Turner's a free agent. Maybe they just ride with Isaiah Jackson after he's proven himself for two years. I, I can't say I disagree. Here's the thing. I, it does scare me paying Miles Turner – a four-year, $100 million deal if, if it's in that range. Because at $25 million for a guy that's missing 25% of his games per year, and realistically, yes, he is the best shot blocker you know, in the NBA, but how many other areas of his game has he improved on a yearly basis? So if you're going to give him even more money, you're hoping that he's going to take a solid leap. And I don't know how much of a leap he has in him. I, I hope that the second half of this season, we get to see that leap without Sabonis there. But in terms of an early extension, I think that would complicate things if the Pacers are as high in, as, you know, in Isaiah Jackson as they make it seem. Yeah, I mean, that's a big question. And they have, you also have to look at who they draft. I mean, I, I don't think I really want him, but if Chad Holmgren is their pick, does Miles Turner really fit next to him? No. No, he doesn't. And if you're looking at statistically number-wise, Turner's – averaging 12.9 points a game this year. Uh, His rebounds are up to 7.1. His blocks are 2.8, which is a little bit down from last year, but not much. And for his field goal percentage, is 51% almost, but his three-point percentage is only 33.3. And this is somewhere where we really would like to see Miles Turner be more effective is shooting threes, and he's been shooting a lot more uh, the last couple of years. If you look at his uh, numbers, 34% three years ago, 33% and 33% again. So he's honestly kind of, maintained a lesser than ideal less than ideal average at three point percentage so um you know there's there's question marks but like i think the biggest question mark for me is just the missing of the 25 percent of the games uh moving forward is that really what you want to invest in hey look we've talked about it and we've ripped the front office at times for saying that they're investing in players with an injury history well at this point look we got to see how turner finishes this year how he finishes next year if the injuries continue I'm sorry, it's tough. I mean, this is the longest tenured Pacer, but when you're talking about the Pacers committing $100 million to anyone, and I think that would be the richest contract that I, I believe, well, the richest per year that they've ever handed out, if you're talking about $25 million or so, it's it's got to be a home run signing. 
Oh man, it's it's been a wild ride for Miles Turner with the Pacers, man. Yes, it, really <laughs> it wouldn't has. shock me. He goes from a guy that's about to be traded for three straight seasons to the guy that makes the most money for him. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just what a ride, man. But let's move on to our next it's question. True. Next question on Reddit: Pavers fan twenty one. Any chance of getting Desmond Bain to pair with Halliburton? Uh, what do we have to talk? Who do we have to talk to or extort to make this happen? Well, the basketball gods uh, yeah. convinced John Morant that Desmond Bain is a, is a stumbling block. <laughs> uh, and uh, let's just pray that Desmond Bain requests a trade to Indiana. So I think all three things uh, fall fall together perfectly. Then Desmond Bain is an Indiana Pacer. Yeah, I mean, look, I would say, look, maybe Desmond Bain has to start dating John Morant's girlfriend or something like that, like some true locker room drama. But no, look, I don't think that the Grizzlies are letting Desmond Bain go. I think they absolutely love him. He's taken a massive leap since last year. And the Grizzlies, we, you know, we mentioned it last episode, they have a really fun thing going with their young core. They're winning games. I feel like they're not trying to break up that group that they have in place there. So yeah. I think we're uh, – I think we're in, in the rough spot in this one. <laughs> I think so, too. And it's a good thing Halliburton had – or Desmond Bain, excuse me, had Tyrese Halliburton to bail him out. Oh, yeah. In that uh, clutch challenge. Halliburton went 4-4 and uh, looked like Desmond Bain only hit the 1-3, but I don't know what he, how many he missed. He probably missed four or five shots, so he was like 1-5 or something like that. So you got to give credit to Halliburton, man. He um, he bailed out Bain, and Bain owes him. So come to Indiana. We'll, uh, we'll call it even. But Exactly. <laughs> moving on here, Max Stevens, 54, said – is the era of having all all, uh, all TJs over after this season? And could we possibly see both TJs elsewhere next season? I, I believe the TJ era is coming to an end. I mean, we, we saw it last year. We convinced OKC to take TJ Leaf off of our hands. Now we're down to two TJs. TJ Warren, I feel like his days are numbered. And then, you know, we talked a little bit about McConnell, who <laughs> could easily be on his way out. We could see ourselves in a world with no TJs on the Pacers soon. I agree, man. <laughs> let's let, let's just do a percentage, okay? So I'll I'll make a number up. Let's say over under forty seven percent chance that um, one of the TJs is still on the roster next year. Oh yeah, I, man. I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's I'd go high, over. Yeah, look, I, man, this is really tough because. TJ McConnell likely is on that roster. Yeah. TJ Warren, it's it's like super hard to predict. It's 50-50, but, I mean, it almost – you can make an argument that a percentage drops off almost by the day or by the week. Yeah. No, it's uh, – I would definitely say in terms of keeping one – for uh, 47%, which is a random number, but I would, I, would, I would say, yeah, for one, but under for both. Mm-hmm. All right. So next question. I think you got this one. All right. Data Fresh 788 said, how big of a star is DeAndre Aiden in terms of signing with a team like the Pacers? You're talking about a former number one overall pick, a guy that could have a championship on his, uh, on his belt at this point next season if they win this year in Phoenix. I really like what I've seen from DeAndre Aiden the last couple of years. I know that he's not you know, the star that runs that engine out there in Phoenix. But I do really like what he brings to the table. He's still a very young player, a very good basketball player. When he's played against the Pacers, he's had some pretty good games. Um, I know the last game that he played here in Indiana, uh, the Pacers really struggled with him. I know Turner and Sabonis really had some rough times there with him. So um, I like DeAndre Ayton's game. I think he would be an upgrade at the center position for what we currently have if we were to get him. But I do question 
is it worth paying a center the max contract in today's NBA? All great points. Look, I'd say, you know, you can make a strong argument that DeAndre could be the biggest star to ever outright sign with the Pacers, even though he hasn't made an all-star team. David West did make an all-star team, and then he signed with the Pacers, but he was coming off of a torn ACL and whatever. Regardless, you mentioned former number one overall pick. The man is a beast. Doesn't get the credit he deserves because he's playing with Devin Booker, Chris Paul. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts over there, that, a lot of good talent. But his numbers aren't really good, and he's never talked about like that. But my one my one real thing, and it rubs me wrong, is there's allegations of him getting paid in high school. There's allegations of him getting paid in college. It feels like this man is just strictly all about the money. And, and whether you like it or not, if, if the Pacers were to invest that much money into a player, it's got to be more than just business. I feel like they would be looking for a true, like, you know, can you be kind of like the face of the franchise? Can you buy into the whole community and everything and be everything that we ever hoped for? And for Aiton, I don't know. It's a lot of money to commit to centers, uh, to a center. And yeah. I, I just don't know if that would be the move that all of a sudden pushes us towards, you know, the top where we want to be when if you're going to give someone else the max, there's other guys to give it to. Yeah, I mean, the only advantage right now that you have with giving him the max is because Halliburton is still on his rookie contract. Yeah, um, You know, Halliburton, you're going to have to pay him eventually in a couple of years. So that's where I think moving off of McConnell and Brogdon and a returner would make some sense. Now, look, if you look at DeAndre Ayton's numbers in the playoffs last year, um, in the first series, he averaged 16 and 10. Second series, he was 14 and 10. Then he was 18 and 13 in the conference finals, which they won that. And then he was... 15 and 12 in the NBA finals. So look, he's a great rebounder. I think he's really solid in that area. Assist wise, he's, you know, just, you know, he's okay. He's only averaging about one to two assists per game in those series. But I think the biggest question mark for me is his just three point percentage, man. It's a 19.6% in his career. He's shooting 22, uh, 22.2% this year with just nine attempts. So he does not take threes unless he really has to. <laughs> and it's like at the end of a shot clock situation. Great effective field goal percentage in terms of what he does inside the paint because inside the paint, he's about 63%, which is really, really good, Fachi. Oh, yeah. But, you know, outside of the paint, it's it's really something the Pacers need and what Carlisle likes, and he doesn't do that. So I wonder if Carlisle would even be interested in a guy that doesn't shoot threes from that center position. That's a great point right there. And here's what I'd say. I think DeAndre Ayton would have been a really good player in like the 80s and 90s. You know, like he's like a throwback type big where, you know, he brings a lot of great qualities. When you mention his three-point percentage, I remember the difference where before the bubble, he literally was not attempting any threes. And then in the bubble, he started making some threes. And it started to feel like that was going to be the next part of his game that was going to grow. And it never really did. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the nine attempts this year. Like, man, it just feels like what, what happened? Because it looked like while the percentages don't show it, I remember what it was like being like, oh, wow, DeAndre Ayton's shooting threes now? And then he just kind of stopped. So th that's the kind of part that I feel like he needs to take his game to the next level. Otherwise, you know, it's really hard for a big man like that to make his true impact on the game while making max salary. Yeah, so he he's missed 21 games already this year too, Fachi. And if you go back to the bubble when they played 73 games, he only played in like 38 of them, I think it was. Uh, yeah, 38 of the bubble games. Or 38 of the bubble season games, which was 73. So he missed like 
close to 40 there, and he missed already 20 this this season. So he's another guy with injury history. So, you know, the Pacers do have some history there with making some deals with Phoenix, though. So I, I say just keep your options open, right? But at the end of the day, I don't really know if he's the correct person to bring in here long term. I think I would prioritize Miles Bridges over DeAndre Aiden. Absolutely, and I, I would say 10 out of 10 times. I just feel like with Bridges, you know the fit's going to be there. It just feels like that would be the right move. John Drayton, look, for the Pacers, realistically, you get one shot at the max. You yeah. get one, and I don't think John Drayton's the guy to do it. Yeah, probably not, um, but you could convince me if they did it, I could talk myself into oh, it. Oh, so could I. Oh, yeah. Real <laughs> so, quick, but yeah. still. You know? I mean, he's an intriguing player. Like, I, I was really impressed with him last year. I won't, I won't lie. Um, His playoff run was very good. I asked I ask if he was a top five center in the NBA, and I about got ridiculed all over social media for it. But I just I just felt like the potential was there. I mean, he's only 23 years old. So, uh, anyway, you know, good, good player. But we'll see exactly how his career pans out. Uh, moving on to our next question from Jacoby Brisket. I always have to say it like that just because it's mm-hmm. funny. Um, realistically, who is the one upcoming free agent that you'd both like to see the Pacers go out and get? We've already kind of said this. And why do you think that player would be a great fit with a new core? Bonus points awarded. The Pacers actually have a shot at getting the said player. <laughs> Look, great question. Um, it's a super weak free agent class. But, yeah, I mean, Miles Bridges, if the Pacers can do it, that that's a home run flat out. Like he's going to have suitors, but not a lot of teams have the cap space. It's very limited in terms of the teams that have $20 million or more. And the Pacers are in that group. So I think they do have a shot. Then other than that, there's like a major drop off. Like there's Kyle Anderson. We've spoke about before, like other than that, like then you, you start to dip of like, you know, for who's realistic you start to be looking at like Thad Young in, in more of like a veteran type backup power forward role. And like, so the, the drop off between Miles Bridges down to like Thad Young, it's it's pretty big. But, you know, I wanted to be realistic here. Yeah, no, it's definitely an interesting uh, conversation here. Um, I, obviously, the guy that you want, you, you really want Miles Bridges if you can get him. Mm-hmm. If you can't get him and you're looking at uh, somewhere else, you know, I think Kyle Anderson is a good fit. I think Chris Boucher is an interesting name out there. Um, I don't necessarily like this, but I can see the Pacers talking themselves into it. Robert Covington, um, just a little bit too old for me with where he's at now. And I think he's regressed as a player um, just because age happens. You know what I mean? But other than that, like I just don't really know who else is really out there that could be had via free agency. Um, so you're probably looking more at a trade here if you're wanting to get someone realistic for this team moving forward. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't see anybody in this group of free agents that make a ton of sense for the Pacers um, for this upcoming season, unless somehow you were able to get your hands on a player like Bradley Beal if he really wants out of Washington and you're able to make a, a blockbuster trade there. But um, you said realistic, so we'll just say re-sign T.J. Warren. I was about to say, what do, you, what do you got, jokes now? There's no way we're getting Bradley Beal. It's just <laughs> it's just not happening. I just, man, I, I don't see it happening. But, yeah, you know, what? like you mentioned over there, Miles Bridges seems like there's at least some hope. Like, it could happen. It's not that unrealistic. But, you know, we got to wait and see. But historically, yeah. you guys know how it's been for the Pacers. We don't have home run free agent signings. We do it through trades. So Absolutely. It's very possible there. Uh, for the next question, we have – Pure underscore air underscore five two two seven on Reddit. 
That was a mouthful. I uh, said, what's the realistic ceiling of Halliburton and Duarte, considering Duarte is already 24? I'm sh- I'm at, I'm not sure what you mean by realistic ceiling. I I'm assuming we're we're talking how far in the playoffs can you get with this as your top two. I would say maybe out of the first round right now with the way the roster is constructed, maybe out of the first round. But this Eastern Conference is really good, so you'd really have to have some improved play from Halliburton and Duarte. So probably not even a first round win if I'm being real honest here. But if I'm trying to be like glass half full, I would say a potential first round playoff playoff upset. But, yeah, I think you really have to look at um, adding this draft pick into this core if you're looking at um, your uh, you're looking at your young dynamic duo here, not not Duarte, unfortunately. Yeah, I wasn't sure if he meant, like, the ceiling of them individually yeah. or of them as a team. So I would say for individually, I'll start with, I'd say there's no convincing me that Halliburton isn't a multi-time all-star in this league. I truly do think – that he has that potential. And I know he's only played four games for the Pacers. He looks phenomenal. So all-star at minimum, multi-time all-star is really what I think. Then you look at Duarte. I think he could be a really good scorer for any team. Could be a solid two-way player. I think his his ceiling is lower than Halliburton's. I I think everybody could probably agree on that. But like maybe in the best case scenario, maybe he could one day blossom into like a borderline all-star. But uh, as a team, I'm with you. I, I think that those two alone aren't going to really strike fear into many. So I feel like their their ceiling could be like pushing a team in the first round, but probably not getting out of the first round. You need that third guy. You need that like top five draft pick that blossoms. Like if Jaden Ivey ends up being the real deal and you put him in with this group, then all of a sudden we have something special. We have something dynamic in those three guys. But alone, those two cannot do it alone. Can I give you a hot take here on Tyrese Halliburton? Bring it. NBA All-Star 2024 season. Is that a hot take to say he'll be an All-Star in two years? I don't think it is because the way the man's playing right now, the league has legitimate respect for Tyrese Halliburton. So, hey, you're talking two years from now? I could see it. If Brogdon is on this team next year, it'll hurt Halliburton's chances Facts. of getting to the All-Star game. So Facts. I think Indiana hosts the All-Star game in 2024. I think Tyrese Halliburton is a lock for that game. Um, I'd love to see it. Unless he gets hurt, obviously. There's always that, but uh, don't want to talk about that. Anyway. My last thing that I'll sprinkle yeah. in there is yeah. I do think that Halliburton has potential all-NBA team, you know, in his in – his, is cards for the future. Okay. That's something the Pacers have not been able to get since Oladipo. So I I just, I just feel like that's, that's something where it's like, Hey, look, that's a real select group, but you can't tell me right now that it can't happen in the future. (laughs) I love our optimism right now. It's great. Um, Let's move on. Marcus Mack said, does the Malcolm Brogdon extension increase or decrease his trade value? I'm going to say that I think it hurts his trade value more than it helps him. Look, if Brogdon was going to be expiring, then like it might not be great, but you're talking about three years, basically $22 million per year, that's $66 million owed to Brogdon with a lengthy injury history. Like this man gets dinged up. It feels like just like getting out of his car. So, I mean, it's going to be tough, but, you know, I think it's better than being maybe expiring. I think it increases his trade value. Really? I'll be, I do, and I've said that for a little bit here. If you, if, if you I've recall, heard it, but you know, I didn't I, know if you were backing down. From oh, that. I'm not backing down. I still think it. I think I keep going back to what Michael Scotto told us when we had him on before the trade deadline. 
Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And look, Milwaukee did not want to sign Brogdon to an extension or, or bring him back because of the injury history, right? So they worked out a deal with the Pacers. Pacers get him, and, and we were stoked to get Brogdon when he first really? came here. Everybody was. I, I think when you look at the 50-40-90 club and what he's been a part of and how good he's actually been when he's been healthy, you know, you can say that that was justified and being excited about him. However, you know, with all the injuries with Halliburton here now, you look at this and say, okay, we're going to make a move. And so there is going to be teams that talk themselves into loving the idea of Malcolm Brogdon on their team for the next three years. Pacer fans scoff at that and say, gross, he's an injury-prone guy. Why would you want him? But if you're a team like New Orleans or a team that's really trying to get back to that playoff level and you feel like you're just, you know, a, a solid guard away, Brogdon makes a ton of sense. Um, he's still got a lot of good basketball in him. And you have to wonder how serious this injury is or if he's just kind of milking it because the team is not good. But listening to Jay Michael talk about how Brogdon will not play unless he's 100% like ready to go or cleared. Um, that to me just kind of shows you like, okay, uh, you know, this is a player that I just don't want to invest any more uh, time in uh, when I have a really good young core that I, I think could be more helpful down the stretch. Yeah, the sad part is I wonder if the Pacers would have to truly showcase Brogdon on like a nightly basis in order to be able to get that value up to where they want it to be. And when you mentioned New Orleans, I mean, I wouldn't put anything past them. They might end up trading essentially like a top five pick for CJ McCollum this year. And, you know, I think they traded a first for Devontae Graham. They'll do pretty much anything that you might not expect. So yeah. with Brogdon, uh, ah, it's just, it's, I don't like the fact that it's three years. I would have loved if it was like two years left on the deal. I think that'd be easier to get off, but we also have to see, if he's able to stay healthy for a substantial amount of time, because if he's not able to stay healthy this year, then who's really in a rush to trade for him in the offseason? Well, I think our next question coming up is a good segue into that. So you want to read that one? Yep. So let's see, coming right up, we got, okay, the Pacers organization. Oh, this is from uh, Gethsemane. Um, ah, there's no way I said that right. <laughs> you, you got you got an idea at it? No, I'm not going to try. I just, right, I Geth- just laughed. <laughs> Geth Samain on Reddit said, the Pacers organization has been honest and have accepted this team isn't championship level. On the latest Pacers Sound podcast, Chad Buchanan was talking about being competitive next year, and with that, he included having a high draft pick. After the All-Star break, Miles and Malcolm uh, should be healthy. Does it behoove them to see the fit with all the new pieces and risk getting a later pick in the draft? Or go another route in parentheses, you know, perhaps keep Malcolm out for the rest of the season and let his Achilles fully heal. Yeah. So I, I thought that was a good segue because we're talking about both Miles and Malcolm here being healthy. And we kind of talked about this on part one. Um, I think the Pacers need to see what they can do with this group. I think you need to see what kind of chemistry you have because look, let's just say Halliburton and Brockton are a, a fantastic backcourt together. I mean, I can see the Pacers talking themselves into it. So if you're really wanting the Pacers to move on from Brogdon, then maybe you just hope he doesn't return and stays out. But I definitely want to see what Miles looks like with this with this team, just because um, I, I think he could be a long-term fit. And I think that that's probably what the Pacers desire is to keep him at what he's probably making now or close to it and move forward in that direction. But I don't think it necessarily will hurt the overall you know, position where they pick. They're so far behind already. I, I, I think that 
worst case scenario, they win like five or six games that they shouldn't. And then you're looking at maybe like dropping down to like six or seven, but I highly doubt that happens. Um, I don't think the Pacers are this far into it and are just going to give up on this stealth tank where they're not technically tanking, but they're not technically trying to win either. So uh, that's where I'm at with it, Fachi. And, uh, you know, I'm just really interested to see what they do moving forward. Yeah, I think the Pacers have to see how Brogdon turned a fit with this group. Even if it's a small sample size, I feel like it's extremely important. Look, if Brogdon and Halliburton look great together, that's awesome. If it's like fitting a square into a round peg, then look, you know, change may need to come sooner rather than later. Uh, I don't think the Turner fit's going to be an issue, uh, but, you know, Brogdon and Turner at least need to get out there and see how it all shakes out. We could always do things like rest Brogdon or Turner on back-to-backs or random nights off, things like that, but it's, it's very important to get them out there with this group. Yeah, for sure. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and finish the rest of our questions. All right, we are back, and we have Tyler Watts coming from the Setting the Pace Facebook group. He said, if we select Jay and Ivy with our pick, is Duarte big enough to play the three spot, or is Ivy big enough to play the three? Would hate to see talent slip by such as Ivy due to us being so solid at the guard position. Yeah, so I will just say this real quick. Ivy is not big enough to play the three, number one. No. Number two, Duarte has already played some three this year, so we know that he is technically big enough to play it. However, um, I agree with you, Tyler. I don't want to give up on such, you know, I don't want to give, give up on a talent because we already are, are deep at guard. No, you draft in this position that you are in with the Pacers. You draft the best player available, no questions asked. If that best player is a point guard, you draft him. If that best player is a shooting guard, you draft him. Same goes for small forward, power forward, center. Whoever is the best player in this draft, you take him and you figure it out, whether he's a long-term fit, whether you trade him and get something that actually makes sense for your roster, you have got to figure out the best way to improve this team. And if you pass up on a guy because you already think you have another guy on your roster, that is not smart basketball. No, look, I'm with you. Look, I would much rather try out Duarte, who's 6'6", at three, than Ivy, who's 6'4". Duarte, at least we know, is a very capable defender. Obviously, he could draw six, eight, six, nine wings, which is going to be super tough. I think that'd be way too tough for Jaden Ivey. But I'm with you. Look, the Pacers three guard approach at that point is far more modern than a double big lineup. We can't let Duarte stop us from drafting Ivy if he's there at pick four or so or whatever we got to do over there. So, Duarte, right now, I feel like is great. But if we're talking 10 years from now, we look back and it's like, man, the Pacers pass on Jaden Ivey because they had. Chris Duarte, like a 24, turning 25-year-old rookie. Like, it's it just – it's not something you want to be looking back on. So, I just think that don't let anyone on this roster scare you from drafting a really good player right now. Totally agree, Fachi. Let's move on to our next question. This is an email from Tom Wilson. Subject, Blake Wesley. If you're not familiar with Blake Wesley, Notre Dame guard. If the Pacers are lottery losers and fall to eight or nine, is Blake Wesley an option? He's at minimum a top 10 pick of the 2023 draft if he stays. But first of all, I'm going to be honest. I was not familiar with Blake Wesley. All right. So I started looking to a couple mock drafts and I actually couldn't find him in the first two that I looked at. So I take it you're probably a Notre Dame fan. I could be wrong. I then did find a mock draft that had him going 24th. So I think he's definitely going to be out of that top 10 pick range unless something crazy happens from now until then. Yeah, so if I, I'm looking at tankathon.com and they have him at 25th, 
going to Memphis right now. Um, look, the Pacers right now own the 23rd pick from the Cavaliers. So Okay, so maybe he's talking about that pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, he said eight to nine. So, I mean, I, I okay, so then, talking, yeah, yeah exactly. he was talking lottery because um, he's thinking Wesley might be something really good for 2023. Look, if Wesley comes out, and I've had some people ask me about Wesley before privately in messages, and I said, I haven't watched enough of this game because I don't watch much Notre Dame basketball because it's just, you know, whatever. But if he is a really good player and the Pacers like him in the second half or the back half of the first round, then sure, take a swing on him. But I mean, if you get him, if, if, you, if they really like him that much at eight or nine, I mean, hey, you never know. Uh, he could rise in the draft boards. I mean, we obviously have seen that happen over the last couple of years. Duarte was in the late 20s and he ended up going all the way to 13. So I don't want to necessarily say I don't think he's a lottery pick, but I haven't heard a lot of people talk about him as one. I do know that people kind of view him as a sleeper. So, you know, uh, another hometown guy. So if we're able to get Blake Wesley and Jaden Ivey, my goodness, Indiana sports fans might just lose their mind. But um, I don't necessarily think he makes the most sense there in the top eight if I'm the Pacers. Yeah, no, definitely not. I feel like that's much more Cleveland pick range, you know, if it happens at all. So yeah. That remains to be seen. But very next uh, next question we have, uh, this was actually an email. We have uh, Richard Tharp said, um, oh, man, this is a long one. Yeah, you got a lot to read, five. All right, we got about five paragraphs here. I'll make it quick. All right, he said, hi, Alex. I sat courtside for the Washington game, and I noticed something. There was no floor chatter, not from Rick Carlisle or staff, and definitely not from the team. No calling out picks, no calls for help, no identifying on unguarded men. No call outs uh, to run before the big setup. No calls for people to cut through the lane. No reminders not to help out for the corners, floor general, or veteran stuff. Every high achieving team in the league has this chatter. Quinn Buckner thought a player was calling for help during the Washington game. It was actually me yelling, help, 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 because they had Buddy in a mismatch. Appreciate that, Richard. Uh, They said two reasons I think it's not happening. Players don't want to hurt each other's feelings. Players don't want to be held accountable. Have you noticed this? Why do you think it's not happening? Well, I, I think that you getting a, a better observation of this by being at the game, it's really hard for me to sit here and say that, I, um, that I've noticed this by watching just on TV for most of the games that I've been to, like, you know, that I've seen this year. So you might have a better feel for it. It might have been just that kind of a game thing. You know, obviously they won that game in Washington. Maybe they're just trying to relax, have fun, and not overthink it. You know, Carlisle said he wasn't calling plays right now. They have a couple sets that they're already kind of thrown in there. So I would say that you may be reading into this a little bit too much. Um, You know, I appreciate the observations, and we can monitor that going forward. And if, you know, I'm wrong by saying that you read into it too much, and I will apologize on air for that. But um, I went to the game against the Clippers, and I felt like there was a little bit more talking. I think a lot of it just is these guys are so unfamiliar with one another and, and still just trying to develop that chemistry. So, you know, I, I think they know this is a lost season. They're trying to just play for fun, play for internal growth. So maybe that's part of it. But um, I don't know. It's interesting. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have to monitor that, though, Fudge. Yeah, Richard, I thought that was a great point. Look, those are the things, just like Alex mentioned, they're hard to detect when you're watching on TV. I just feel like it's hard to really hear that. So being close up, like, it, it's definitely uh, – you know, a great observation. Um, I know some people credit Carlisle's style being a bit free-flowing, unless you're Karis LeVert and you're looking to take a shot at the team. Uh, but, you know, there should be chatter. There. Rondo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. Now, I feel like we're also dealing with, like, a younger team and some newer pieces. Maybe they don't have that familiarity yet. 
Uh, I'm actually going to be at the game against Washington in DC when the Pacers come to town. I have really like great seats, lower level. So that's definitely going to be something that I'm looking forward to hearing. Man, um, what a yeah. bummer, man. No Aaron Holiday, no Tristan Thompson. That's I, a bummer I right definitely there. got robbed there, you know. <laughs> But no, at the same point, I'm going to be thrilled to see Halliburton and the crew. Um, but I'll, I'll also be listening to that, Richard, because I, I do hope there is some type of chatter. Man, I'm excited for you to, number one, uh, be able to get a better perspective on this. And two, I'm excited to see you try to interact with Tyrese Halliburton so close. Um, oh, it's going I, down. I, I mean, we might be seeing another picture with you on the on the court with Tyrese Halliburton like we saw with you and Jermaine O'Neal. But you never uh, know. You never know. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. But let's move on to our next question. This comes from Landry Houck via text message. He said, could each of you guys give your predictions on what you expect Tyrese Halliburton's stat line by the end of next season to be? Do you think he could average a double-double? And here's the thing. I don't want to disrespect this man, but in his first four games, it's been scary to think that he that he definitely could average a double-double. I mean, he's been on fire. So here's the thing. It all depends on what Brogdon's role is, though. Brogdon feels like the only guy that could really hold Halliburton back uh, if he doesn't have free reign. But, I mean, I could throw out there and feel like 18 and 10 feels like it could happen. But the, the thing is, the sky's the limit because he's already averaging a double-double in his four games as a pacer. So what do you think? Yeah. yeah, I was actually thinking around the 18, 19 range. So I'll say 19 points a game, 12 assists per game, five Woo! rebounds a game. I'm I'm going all in. Wow. I love I mean, it. Especially if he's a solo guard now. If they draft Jaden Ivey, it's going to be much different. Yeah. I wonder if they would even go down that route, now that we're talking about Jaden Ivey just for a second, after seeing what it was like with Tyrese and De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell in like a crowded backcourt down in Sacramento. Like, would they really want to do that? Um, and maybe like, unless they view Jaden Ivey as a two, because I know that there's been some conversation. I think Derek Murray was in a, um, he's been on our show before. He works for basketballnews.com. Uh, him and Matt Babcock do a lot of their draft coverage. And he said that there were some NBA scouts that strictly view Jaden Ivey as a two and some strictly view him as a one. If the Pacers strictly view him as a two, then I could see him playing with Halliburton. I think there's some intrigue by that. But with that being said, I mean, I do think that if Ivey is starting next to Halliburton, you could see a dip maybe in either points or assist. I would think so, and probably the assists because, look, a prediction of 12 assists per game, I mean, that is like league leader type things, and I ran off right now, it's just a four-game sample size, but Halliburton's averaging over 11 assists with the Pacers, mm-hmm. but once you throw in potentially a Jaden Ivey and a Malcolm Brogdon, it feels like the assists probably come down, but I, I do feel like the way Halliburton's been distributing the ball, it could still be like averaging – 18 and nine or 19 mm-hmm. and nine, something like that, man. We'd kill for that. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, Sabonis led us in assists basically the other year. It's like, come on, you know, with like six. So it's just like between, yeah. you know, Sabonis and Brogdon, we've seen them average, you know, like six to seven assists. It feels like if you gave Halliburton free reign, he could definitely give you a double-double. Yeah, I think Domas was 18, 13, and five, if I'm not mistaken. So very similar to what I gave 19, 12, and five. So. Uh, maybe I'm just predicting something, Fachi. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I uh, could be, but either way, I'm I'm really excited for what we have going on. All right, let's move on. Ed Lolly, Twitter messages. You got this one? I do. So All he right. said, okay, here it goes. With regards to the KP press conference, a question was asked as to what type of player they would target in the draft. Although he didn't answer the question, he said the team has changed their approach. What do you think the new approach will be compared to the old approach? Well, that's interesting because I feel like 
Um, they've always kind of drafted best player available. Mm-hmm. If you look at their history, um, Duarte was not probably best player available, but I think he was best player for their team last year. Yeah. Um, Aaron Holiday, Gogo Batadze, TJ Leaf. I think, unfortunately, as, as annoying as that sounds, I, I mean, Aaron Holiday was clearly the best player available at that time in that draft based on what other people had said. Goga was kind of like, okay, you know, there was some talk about Goga being like in the top lottery, but that draft was not super great. Uh, a very blah, mediocre draft for Emil Langford went like 13 or 14 in that draft. So, um, and then the TJ Leaf, obviously, that just is a huge miss right there. But um, they went for fit more than they did best player available at 13 last year. So there is something to look at there, Fachi. Um, would they prefer to go with a forward like a Jabari Smith or a Paulo Boncaro or even um, an A.J. Griffin, someone like that, to, to, to fit more of a need? Possibly. But I also think what they meant by they changed their approach is – they're not trying to win so many games to get a bad pick, uh, to get like a worse, uh, a worse draft pick by winning meaningless games. I think that is kind of what they were hinting at. Um, if I'm reading the tea leaves, but other than that, I, I don't really know what else they could have been saying by this in terms of uh, their comments that were made. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of different ways you could perceive this, but you know, I, I'm, I might go with, Hey, maybe they're the a three guard approach is something that they haven't wanted to do in the past. And you know, when they're coming off of yeah. having a double big lineup, maybe a three guard lineup is something that they're like, hey, we're actually willing to experiment with this. Yeah. When in the past, great they point. That's a great point, Flachi. I really, really uh, didn't even think about that. That's that's really something that's <laughs> that's wow. That's that's really good, Flachi. I'm glad you brought that point up because I wasn't even thinking about that. Um, Possible getting away from the double big and going small going more modern i mean hey mm-hmm. maybe there's something into that i mean maybe that's how carlisle wants to play uh could, could be yeah I, I like that idea let's move on to our last question i believe here yes our last question today end of the mailbag this week comes from max cooper he said do you think the pacers would try to go spin big on another young guy in free agency to accelerate this rebuilding even further I have seen some reports about trying uh, to grab Miles Bridges from Charlotte and wonder what you thought about that. He would fit the timeline and offering a big contract to him would help us get him or for Charlotte to match and leave them with less cap space. And we have officially entered the time of the year where Miles Bridges to Indiana is the hot topic in the mailbag. <laughs> so, look, I mean, I, I'm with you there, Max. I would absolutely love to get Miles Bridges. I don't want to sell myself on it too much. I feel like over the last hour, I've already started to do it. But, um, yeah, it would definitely <laughs> accelerate the rebuild a lot. I see the Pacers more in the market to you know, use their picks and cap space to either move up in the draft or acquire someone via trade like they've done in the past. But, yeah, if there's an opportunity to acquire Bridges, we have the money to do it. And I think that he definitely fits our timeline and can accelerate it. I really like – I mean, we've already talked about Bridges a lot on these two episodes. So um, my, my thoughts haven't changed in a matter of two, uh, you know, two hours since we've been recording this. So um, what I do like, though, is the idea of forcing Charlotte's hand to match. Um, you know, that's really important here because, look – as well. Um, yeah, because they've already got a lot of cap that they're going to have to tie up into. They already re-signed Terry Rozier, I believe. They signed Hayward to a big contract. Now you're looking at um, LaBella Ball is going to be up for his extension here in a little bit. They got to pay him. You got him, uh, P.J. Washington coming up next year. They have a lot of guys that they're going to have to pay. Now, I don't know what all, all of them are going to have to make or what they want to make, but I definitely think Bridges is going to be very hot on the market. 
And I just don't know if Charlotte is willing to match it and be a tax-paying team for a team that's barely, because they've been struggling. They've not been playing well. I think they've lost nine of the last 10 games or something like that. They've not been playing well. Um, so if they want to go in a different direction, I could totally see them not wanting to tie themselves down to it. But I would be behooved if they decided to move on from Bridges over maybe packaging up Hayward or potentially uh, Rogier instead to try to get this team a little bit more well-rounded because I'm not sure I love the long-term fit with Rogier and LaMelo together. Yeah, I know that that fit long-term, you know, it, it could be a little, little shaky, but if, if Charlotte just let Miles Bridges walk, I, I think it's going to cause a, a ripple. I would imagine that Bridges is probably close with the young core there. And I, I feel like he's, a really good player to the point where like Hayward is that guy that you got to move. You got to find a way to get off some, some salary. And it just feels like Hayward's that contract that if you move it, you free up the money to, uh, to resign miles bridges. So I think we'll hear those rumblings once the off season approaches. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you everybody for the incredible mailbag questions. I really enjoyed the variety. We did get some that were very similar, but I do like, the, the the thoughts that go behind the questions and really enjoy chatting with you guys uh, this way. And maybe eventually we'll jump into some Twitter spaces and do some live Q and A's just for fun. So it's not just us reading mailbag questions and giving a, giving a scripted answer, but yeah, Fachi, um, anything else you want to say before we sign off? Yeah. I would just say, look, guys, I love you guys. You honestly are the best. I love the questions that you keep coming our way. I also really look forward to getting you guys on the show for our, our fan of the week segment. It feel like it builds like a better relationship with all of us. So keep the questions coming. If you want to be on the show, continue to tweet at us, let us know. And just at the end of the day, it's an exciting time to be a Pacer fan. So the, the mm -hmm. more that we interact, the better it is, the more exciting it gets. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I echo all those sentiments and really appreciate the new listeners that we've gotten since uh, the Halliburton trade happened. So if you're a new listener and you haven't left us a five-star rating and review, would love if you could go ahead and do that for us just to help us grow and help our podcast reach more people like yourself um, when, when there's a lot of new things and exciting things to talk about. But um, and, and if you like what you're hearing, you know, help us out. Give us a five-star rating. But Fachi, um, enough of that. Where can people find us at on social media? All right. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at setting the pace. You can find us on TikTok at setting the pace. And if you're talking yourself in to a Miles Bridges to Indiana for the next season in free agency, coming with a big splashy move here, say these three words. Let's go, Pacers.